This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And am I stunning or simple, do you think, Howard? Oh, bless you. You're stunning, Dan. Bit of both. You can be both, frankly, but there we go. everybody welcome to another episode of the bake down podcast we have the very first halloween week on bake off very exciting and with me today we have the equally spooky jane beadle dan beasley harling and howard middleton i'm sarah i'll be your host today so it was very exciting to see Bake Off's very first Halloween week. We had spooky lanterns and creepy treats of all types. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you everybody who has attended our Bake Along mystery classes so far. We are over halfway through our series now and this week we have Karen Wright and she's going to be baking with us a spooky apple cake with some fabulous caramelised apples, some mini toffee apples and Italian meringue spooky ghosts. So we hope to see you there if you are booked in and that is Sunday the 23rd of October. And Jane, we also have a webinar coming up, don't we? We have a Halloween webinar on Sunday the 30th of October. Jane, what will you be making for us? Oh, I'm going to be making some delicious little tarts. Uh, they're caramel and ganache and they have a spider's web pattern on the top. So if you want to learn how to feather properly rather than making feathers, which I think we discussed in an earlier earlier podcast, a bit of fun, a bit of pastry, a bit of caramel, a bit of chocolate and a bit of feathering. Yeah, should be lovely. Sounds great. Thank you, Jane. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone and you can join us at 4.30pm UK time on Sunday the 30th of October. So it was Halloween week. We had a spooky apple cake for our signature challenge. We had s'mores as a technical and then we had 
a hanging, almost like a pinata type lantern for our showstopper. Howard, first Halloween week, did we see some good stuff? We did, yeah. No, uh, Halloween week's uh, unusual for me. I did not particularly celebrate Halloween as a child and do any trick-or-treating. Never been to a Halloween party and I have no <laughs> children. So, yeah, it's like, yes, shock horror. It's like, what do I do at Halloween? Probably just stay in. So, yes, it was nice to see people actually enjoying themselves and doing something fun and a bit dressing up. I thought it was I thought it was a nice week this week. Dan, is Halloween something you've taken part in a lot? Yeah, I think it's nice when people get into the spirit of Halloween. You know, Jane's turned up today in her witch's mask. Um, so thank you for getting involved, Jane. Oh, no, no, Jane. no, this is... <laughs> It's 365 days a year, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. Low-hanging fruit and everything. Do you know what? I do enjoy any opportunity to get a little bit festive and a bit seasonal. So I do enjoy it. And my kids do like, uh, you know, they my kids are desperate to go trick-or-treating. But I have explained to them that it's quite not quite so popular in the UK as it is in America. And I think in America, everyone does it. In the UK, it tends to be sort of teenagers turning up begging for money, doesn't it, more than anything else. I like to bake, bake a few sort of Halloween-y treats. That's really fun. And do you know what? As soon as this week came up, I instantly thought of some previous Bake Off contestants who would have had an absolute field day on Halloween week. Not to mention Helena Garcia from a previous season, who every day was Halloween for Helena, or as we termed her, Grimjoy. Um, because... <laughs> She's had a, a very similar style to baking style to Kim Joy, but everything was very deathy. So, um, uh, yeah, um, I think Helen would have had an absolute field day. I feel so sorry for her. This wasn't uh, this wasn't on her season. I think she would have had a great time. Jane, did we see some good bakes from your point of view? Oh, I, I think we did. I think they could have even gone even further, to be perfectly honest. But I thought it was rather lovely. I. I... It was nice to see something different this week. And, you know, we've done Tudor Week and we've done this week and we've done that week. But Halloween is very popular now. I don't, we, it certainly wasn't like, you know, I was the same as Howard. We, we didn't do it when I was young. It was something that happened in America. But actually, since I've lived here, down in deepest, darkest Kent, we get, we get a lot of trick-or-treaters. And it isn't teenagers. It's lots of young families coming around. And just a quick story. Last year, my daughter was visiting from Barcelona and we had to run her back to the airport on the 31st of October. And I'm, we get so many trick-or-treaters. I have to sort of clear out the supermarket shelves, really. And I was a bit worried that nobody would get any chocolate because we wouldn't be back until about nine o'clock. So I put a big bowl on the doorstep with a sign that said, please only take one each. <laughs> I mean, I really should have had a camera there to see how many people. Because when we got back, there was nothing in the bowl and just one empty sweet wrapper was left. So I, I, I think somebody just came along with their carrier bag and emptied the whole lot in there. So we get a lot of trick-or-treaters and it's great fun. And I love to see the young kids coming round and going, can I have four? No, you can't have four. You can only take one. No, it's all very sweet. I, I love it, actually. Very good fun. It reminds me of that episode of Friends where Monica makes all the Halloween candy and nobody can get enough. Fabulous. So let's start with our apple cake signature. Now, the brief was something where apple is the hero flavour. We had a lot of lovely spicy flavours, a lot of cinnamon. I think we even had a cinnamon whiskey at one point, as well as lots of 
cream cheese frostings, lots of different kinds of apples. So it felt like a really lovely warming signature to start with. Howard, were there any bakes that really stood out to you? I think a bit of a division, really. So there are certain things where you think, oh, that sounds lovely. You know, Kevin's apple cake with a streusel topping, I thought sounded really nice, and the cream cheese frosting. And I was less kind of keen uh, on the idea of shabiris, but apparently it was it was lovely. So yeah, that that sour plum in there. So I I would definitely have liked to have tried a slice of uh, shabiris, even though it wasn't top of my list to begin with. Absolutely, bringing uh, some Malaysian flavors back in again. A witch apple cake who who had some problems with her eyeliner at the end. Bless her, that little cake. But she had an apple sponge, apple crumble layered with chilli and sour plum and cream cheese. Dan, was this something that you liked the sound of? No. Um, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Dan, for your input. <laughs> no, I agree with Howard, actually. Um, on the sound of it, sometimes things just don't sound very nice. And i got to be honest, anytime someone puts chilli in a cake, I'm just a bit kind of like, oh, really? It's not my cup of tea. I can handle spicy, but I don't love it, especially not in, in sweet things. And the sour plum, I sort of thought, you're pulling taste buds in a couple of different directions there. Um, but it obviously worked. Um, you know, she uh, obviously got some great feedback on that one. So I'm sure it would have been lovely. And maybe I should give it a go. Maybe I should give it a go. Find out for myself. Well, Paul definitely liked Shabira's cake, saying the flavour is back. Now, Shabira has definitely struggled with flavours last week with the melon coming through too much and then not enough. So, Jane, is this a cake that you like the sound of as well? Mm, I'm, I'm a Dan. No, I didn't like the sound of it very much. I, to be honest, I didn't like the look of it either. I thought it looked an absolute mess. Um, <laughs> well, I do. Wow. Yeah, if you're going to decorate it to make it look ghostly, I thought it looked awful. Jane! I'm really, I'm sorry, Shabira. I, I thought it didn't look like an apple. I wasn't quite sure what it was. It looked like a bowl that had been covered in red icing. No, I thought it did look a mess. And yeah, no, perhaps I shouldn't be so mean. I'm sorry. But clearly it tasted delicious. And I was quite surprised because I would have thought the sour plum and the chilli would have overpowered the apple. Certainly some of the others were criticised for not having it tasting of enough apple. No, my favourite, absolute favourite, which is very like I like to decorate a cake, uh, was Maxie's. I, I thought it looked beautiful. It was classy. You wanted to have a big bite of it. Not too much icing. Cream cheese went brilliantly with it. Those delicate little apple frosted matchsticks on the top, for want of a better word. I thought that looked absolutely gorgeous. And you could see that handshake coming a mile off. I thought it was beautiful. I love the ideas of Kevin's too, except... Sadly, it was all just too hot and his cream cheese melted, but Maxie's was just gorgeous. I, brilliant idea. I would say I was very sorry for Sandro because that crystal skull was just decoration, wasn't it? And Prue said, oh, it, it ruins the cake. All he had to do is lift it off and it was a pretty lovely looking cake, I thought. And he'd really got into the spirit of Halloween week. And if you can't stick a skull on your cake, what can you do? So I felt a bit sorry for his feedback, really, because, you know, it, it might not have tasted apple enough, which is a criticism a lot of them had. But I thought for, uh, for a 
you know, festive bake with a big skull on the top. I thought he did a great job. Good for him. The, the, can I ask you guys a question just generally? So it's about Maxi. You guys know I like my sort of fairly simple and traditional flavours. So I kind of, on one hand, I'm I'm proud of Maxi for sort of being, going for classic things and just being courageous about delivering fairly traditional flavours. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking, why isn't she getting, not called out for it, but do you know what I mean? Like, why isn't she getting criticism and saying, oh, you should be a bit more adventurous? It's just when you compare her against someone like Shabira, who's going for it every week and bringing something really interesting and different, how much of Maxi's flavours do you think are sort of courageous and confident in sort of traditional, well-known combinations? And how much of it is a little bit of low effort? Do you know what I mean? I mean, we're splitting hairs at this point because it's getting down to the serious end of the competition. But although I love everything, the sound of everything that Maxi makes, I do sometimes think, is it a bit unbrave? Unbrave? <laughs> I think there's been some criticism I was seeing yesterday. There's been a bit of criticism generally about the bakers playing it safe. Oh, has there? I haven't seen that. I would say they all played it safe apart from Shabira for the apple cake. But then you do for your signature, don't you? It's a baking show. And yes, you want them to be a little bit adventurous and you want them to be decorated beautifully. But I always feel that we need to do something in an episode that people at home can go, oh, yes, I really want to make one of those. Now, I don't expect to do that in the showstopper because they're usually so over the top that nobody's ever going to attempt them. And sometimes, as we all know, that the technicals can be a challenge. I think we ought to have one bake a week where the ingredients are accessible and everybody at home feels that they can troll off and, and, and bake it. And that has to be the signature. And I think that's what most of them did this week. And I don't criticise any of them for, for not being too adventurous with their flavours for this one. Decoration, I thought, was uh, is key always, along with flavours. And I, we've always said, in order to get through... Don't overdo it and don't push the boundaries too much because you'll get knocked out. And I think maybe Maxie's just listened to us too much and is is following that. But I, I want to eat her stuff more than I want to eat anybody else's. So mm -hmm. am I going to criticise her for that? Perhaps not. I take your point. Maybe the, uh, the they should have been more adventurous in the decoration. Maybe that was where we should have separated them more a bit this week then. What do you think? They always say, oh, it needs to be decorated beautifully. But it, it, it depends what, what your individual interpretation of that is, whether you want to go really stunning or just very, very simple. And oh, my stunning or simple, do you think, Howard? Oh, bless you. You're stunning, Dan. Bit of both. I think you can be both, frankly, but there we go. Talking of stunning and simple, Yanush, uh, <laughs> this week, I thought, one, I'm getting really fed up with drip cakes. Oh, I am. I love oh, a drip oh, cake. As well as anybody. <laughs> However, week after week after week of drip cakes, I'm getting a little bored. Um, sorry, Yanush, I, I love you to pieces. But then there was no decoration. It, I, he just had his drip on the top. And then, you know, when you just run a little palette knife around so you get the swirl set in it. And I thought, well, is that it? Are, are you going to put anything piped on the top? Are you going to put any caramelised apple on the top are you going to do no and it looked as though it was unfinished to me and nobody criticized that i thought that was a a really boring looking cake to be honest i wanted to see a bit of decoration just for you li listeners at home or listener you can dip apples in caramel to get a crispy coating 
but the juice of the apple melts the caramel very, very quickly. So don't do that. If you've, you could dip a whole apple in because the skin protects it. But you know, you can get those dried apples in health food shops and things, those dried apple rings. If you dip those in caramel, they stay really crispy and they're fabulous. A bit like the, that sweet treat that we all love, which is those sort of, those candied orange orange pieces that are dipped in chocolate. Oh, yes. You can dip the dried apple into caramel and it makes brilliant decorations for an apple cake. Just just saying, guys. Yes, I was actually eating candied orange peel covered in chocolate for breakfast today, which Jane was alluding to. That's actually part of one of my Christmas classes. I don't think they'll be up yet at this point because we're still, you know, this side of Halloween at this point in time. But um, I dare say that will be up soon. I just wanted to talk about the drip cake that you mentioned very quickly. So for those of you who don't decorate cakes, drip cakes are brilliant because they're a very quick way to cover a messy top. You don't have to have a nice, needy, neat and tidy top because you'll cover it in another layer of something else. And it's if you need to decorate a quick a cake quickly, it's a very useful technique. And that's why you see so many of them. Also, one of my pet peeves is people who use the same decorating techniques over and over again. And when I was on Bake Off, I tried to never use the same decorating technique twice. I tried to always use a different de decorating technique in every single challenge. And some people use the same ones over and over again. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I think when you start to notice the pattern repeating, when somebody's made buttercream flowers for the 10th time, you just kind of think, do you know any other way to decorate? You know, this is not like, why are you not getting, if you use the same flavors every week, you would get called up in it. I remember Karen got accused of trying to turn every recipe into a Bakewell tart. But nobody seems to mind, the judges don't seem to mind when somebody uses buttercream roses on their cakes 10 times in a row. So it is a bit of a pet peeve of mine, but I don't think I've ever seen it criticised in the judging as far as I can remember. No, I don't think I have either. And I've not really noticed it. I mean, we did have a bit with Christelle last year with buttercream flowers, didn't we? She used piped buttercream flowers a lot last year. And always to very very good effect, I always thought. But yeah, no, I've never heard it. I mean, we had the same in our year. Rav got criticised, I think, I can't remember what the flavour was now, but week after week, a couple of weeks running. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe they forget. <laughs> How can you forget a drip cake? So let's do a rundown of the other bakers that we haven't mentioned. Abdul's Bonfire Cake was um, accepted really well by the judges. A really good apple-y taste in there. Dawn's Ukrainian Charlotta sponge. She kept mentioning how light and delicate the sponge was and then inevitably the apple sort of um, sunk into the top and made the cake quite dull, said Prue. So not the best of starts there. So Howard, anything... That you, is there anybody you were worried about going into the technical from that signature challenge? I think you always worry, and this is partly obviously to do with uh, a kind of retrospective look when, when they do the editing. When somebody goes in and says, My cake's really light, um, my cake's really delicate, you sort of think, Ooh, <laughs> I know something's going to happen here. Yes, it's going to sink. And, uh, and sure enough, it did. But yeah, I was uh, I was intrigued as well by by some of Paul's comments uh, this week. I thought he was on top form for <laughs> for stating the obvious. So just just back on Abdul's cakes. Uh, I think it's a really good cake. You have the whole apples in there, which do taste of apple. 
So, yeah, mm. I'm really pleased that Apple's taste of apple. <laughs> and then really, really helpful towards Kevin to tell him that cream cheese melts if you put it on a warm cake. Thanks for that, Paul. <laughs> well, let's move on to our technical challenge where we had to make eight s'mores with a digestive, almost like a top and bottom a chocolate ganache and then a lovely big squidgy marshmallow in the middle. Dan, do you think this was a good technical to see? Sure. You know, in in autumn, we like to um, make sort of treats around the bonfire and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I have a a chimney in our garden. We will quite often toast marshmallows on it. My kids love it. And yeah, we cheat the s'mores as well. Rather than using chocolates, we just get a couple of chocolate digestives and sort of squish squish the big marshmallow between the biscuit. I mean, sure, it's a good challenge as a, a, a range of techniques. I don't know if a s'more is in, inherently Halloween-y, but um, it's you certainly something you'd eat that time of year. I thought it was an interesting design that they picked for it. Sort of a was it sort of stacked very tall, um, and I think obviously some of them did it a little bit better than others. But uh, no, inherently, I thought it was a, a pretty good challenge. I think they must be running out of ideas at this point. So it was actually nice to see something that they hadn't done before. Jane, what did you think of the s'mores challenge? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge s'mores fan, to be honest, because it's just a bit too sweet for me. However, I fully appreciate that lots and lots of people love them. And um, making good marshmallows in two hours is pretty difficult, actually, to try and get that to set. I mean, if you look at marshmallow recipes, uh, they're telling you to leave it on one side or leave them overnight or something. So... I was pretty impressed that uh, most of them got something that looked vaguely resembling a marshmallow and cutting it out. I mean, that's the thing is they were cutting it out with a round cutter and trying not to get that cutter too gooey or messy and to get a nice clean side. I, th- I thought it was a tough challenge in the time. It's probably one, one occasion when people are... S- Talking about biscuit buying, why are you buying biscuits? Why are you making digestives when you can buy them for whatever in the supermarkets? I love a homemade biscuit. I really love a homemade biscuit, but digestives are one of those things that actually you might as well just go and buy them in the supermarket. But I, I'm sorry, Howard, I've never done your digestive class and I really apologize. Yes. I've never. <laughs> oh, do you know, I, I did actually look the recipe up because I've never made them. And um, I, I don't have, what do you put a wholemeal flour in there? And some people put oatmeal, oatmeal in there yeah. and things yeah. like that. Uh, and I haven't got those things. So I must admit, I didn't have them until I got them from a uh, supermarket. So you do need to, to do that <laughs> interim trip. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so go and pick up the oatmeal and the wholemeal flour yes, rather than the packet of digestives. Okay, that's what I have to do. You know, I thought I thought they looked pretty good. It didn't make me want to go out and make them because they did look so sweet. But I don't know that they're, as Dan said, inherently Halloween-y. However, it strikes me as it's a good enough time to be toasting marshmallows as any. And I thought it was enough of a baking challenge to make it a good technical so yeah I quite liked it actually and uh, I did feel a bit bit sorry for poor old Abdul who seemed to over blow tart 
torches, uh, over below torches, marshmallows and turn them into a runny mess. But other than that, yeah, I thought it was a good fun challenge. It's quite nice for Halloween week. I liked this week, actually. I thought it was good. Well, Shabira definitely did very well coming first. Uh, very neat, very tall, lovely marshmallows with a good biscuit on top, all the way down to, as you say, Jane, poor Abdul at the bottom, who's it was a little bit of a mess, wasn't it? A bit of a disaster. Very soft marshmallows and very melty, which is not what we want in a s'more. And if anybody wants to join us in one of Howard's chocolate digestive making classes, we do have another one running on the 5th of November. So if anybody wants to join us, we'll be happy to see you there. Howard, this was a really popular class when we did it for Biscuit Week, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Both the uh, the feathered chocolate digestives and the uh, the Garibaldi's. So yeah, we, we thought we would keep them separate rather than combining feathering on the Garibaldi, but I like this class. Yeah, well, it's your recipe. I hope you like it. Do you use oatmeal <laughs> yes. in your digestives then? I do, yes. Yeah, I do. What I like to do for the texture is if you buy rolled oats and blitz them just a little bit, you can have them with a little bit more texture. And I really like that. I think the one, the digestives from the shop can be a little bit too fine in texture. And I like it with a bit more chunk. Yes, absolutely. And and to be honest, a lot of the ones that you get in the shop don't even have wholemeal flour in. They're, they're actually a plain flour. So, oh. uh, so that's why you do get that very kind of solid almost like a rich tea biscuit yeah oh they're the cheap ones though they're not the proper ones in the supermarket from i'm sure we're not supposed to mention mcvities but mcvities are the, definitely the ones you have to buy aren't they yes. <laughs> you probably don't get those in the us but for those of us in the uk yes oh, i will make i will make some next time i go to the supermarket which is possibly today i will pick up some oatmeal and um, give it a go howard send me your recipe thank you well, let's talk about the marshmallow in the middle of this s'mores. Trust a lot of, of British people to get together to talk about s'mores and end up talking about digestives. How do we go about making a marshmallow for the middle of a s'mores? Uh, basically, it's a meringue. You, you make an Italian meringue. And then you add gelatin to it, basically. That's what it is. It's it's egg whites, sugar, and gelatin. And then you have to do a bit of dusting with corn flour or corn starch or whatever you call it, call it, depending on what part of the world you're in. And then you let it set. So it is, you get so you get the squidgy sponginess because you've got whipped in loads of air with your meringue, and you get the, well, you shouldn't say rubberiness, but the bounciness that holds its form from the gelatin. You can make uh, vegan or vegetarian ones, but frankly, I've never done it. Uh, but they're good fun to make, actually, and you can add a little bit of flavouring or a little bit of colouring, and they're, they're relatively straightforward. You just have all the issues that you normally have with meringue. Clean bowl, clean whisk, make sure there's nothing nasty in there so your egg whites don't whisk up, and away you go. Um, you know, they're very simple to make and very satisfying, actually. And then, of course, you could actually fold in lots of lovely nuts. Um, you could put in some chopped pistachios or some chopped almonds or something like that uh, and, and, you know, pimp them up as much as you like. But very easy to make and very satisfying. And, I, yeah, I might knock some up this weekend, actually. I, I, like making, uh, I like making marshmallows. Well, somebody who struggled with her marshmallow a little bit as well was Dawn. Um, she lost a bit of definition in the biscuit, but the... the 
Marshmallow was more meringue than Marshmallow. So do we think Dawn's in a little bit of trouble heading through to the showstopper? Yeah, I think she was. I mean, she was sort of, she wasn't bottom in the technical. She was fifth in the technical, wasn't she? More meringue than Marshmallow, I think, was the description. And I didn't dislike her Ukrainian Charlotte cake for her signature. Yeah, I think I think she was in trouble, but not particularly. I think there were several people vying for the one that was going home at this stage, I thought. I liked her headdress, though. I thought it looked very nice. Yes, let's talk about the fancy dress. I can't believe we haven't mentioned the Halloween fancy dress we had in the tent. We had Janusz, who came dressed as Noel, apparently, in his lovely eyeliner and high heels. I would like to point out that those were not high heels. Kitten heels. A very small cube, (laughs) exactly. Come on, Janusz, put some stilettos on and then we'll talk. Maxie had her lovely black and white hair. Sandro with his gorgeous big black wings. And I just loved Kevin's little pumpkin shirt. He was absolutely adorable. What did we think of the dressing up? I wasn't sure about Abdul's. (laughs) With his scary, scary NASA spaceman suit. Yeah. I'm not sure I don't know what sort of life Abdul live, lives, but that didn't seem scary at all. Dan, what did you think? I, I love that Yalish dressed up as Noel, but those were not proper heels, were they? I have to say, I've only put on a pair of heels once in my life, and I did go out drinking while I was doing that, and I my feet were soaked in blood by the time I got home, and I just think, if you want to make it really Halloween-y, let's draw some blood, please. But yeah, no, I thought it was really fun. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a fun idea, and a lot of them, there were a few people with eyeliner on, weren't there, and just sort of making it a little bit interesting. So, um, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to have a bit of fun in the tent. And I think, you know, especially as we get towards the tail end of the competition, it can all get a little bit serious, can't it? You know, and you sort of see all the anxiety setting in um, and people really starting to panic and realising there's nowhere left to hide. Um, so it was nice to see um, a little people having a little bit of fun uh, and enjoying themselves and not getting... Uh, you know, not getting too hung up on the competition just yet. So, um, yeah, it was nice to see. So at the end of the technical, we had Abdul in seventh, Maxi in sixth, Dawn in fifth, Sandro fourth, Kevin third, Janusz second and Shabira first. So Shabira in line to possibly get Starbaker. And a little fun fact for you, only two people have ever had first in technical a handshake and then star baker and they have both gone on to win bake off giuseppe and dan oh no wait dan you didn't win did you (laughs) i was just about to say but dan you are tied first with rahul for the person who's had the most handshakes aren't you well this is something i discovered this week okay so i have two so yeah so there's only been a handful of contestants that have ever got a handshake first in technical and star baker in the same week um i'm one of them um giuseppe is one of them i have a really interesting uh, handshake record which is so i'm the contestant with the most handshakes but i'm also the lowest ranking contestant to ever receive a handshake so, <laughs> so i'm like of the handshake bunch i have the most handshakes but i'm also the worst performing one so it's sort of it's a <laughs> 
it's 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 sort of like simultaneously wonderful and devastating and mortifying at the same time. So um, yeah, I'm I'm somehow at both ends of that club. So I don't quite know how to feel about that. Go on, Jane, say say something encouraging to make me feel better. No, I'm just trying to think of how many handshakes you might have had had you gone on to get to the final. I know, right? It could have just been an unassailable lead. Probably, um, probably. I'm sure you deserved it. I must go back and watch your series, actually. You must. I was brilliant, if I do so say myself. Um, but I think it just <laughs> goes to show that Bake Off really is week by week. You know, just because you're good one week doesn't mean you're yeah. not going to go home the next week. And that's that's part of it all. And, you know, uh, people say often say, like, if you could go back, would you do things differently? And to be honest, they, to be honest, I, w- I just wouldn't have tried so hard in the beginning. I would have paced myself a little bit more. So I had a little bit left in the tank. You know, maybe if I'd done that, I never would have had a shining moment and still would have gotten home in week six. So you never know, you know, it all just depends what happens on the day. But yeah, it's a uh, very exciting times for Shabira, certainly. Okay, well, thank you so much, everybody who has been sending us in some questions. We love to hear from you all. So first of all, we'll start with Jacob. Now, Jacob says he's been following along and enjoying the podcast over the last few seasons. Nothing blows off steam better than hearing a good skewering of Paul. Thank you for the hours of entertainment. So you're very welcome, Jacob. In light of Paul's questioning of corn pieces in Shabira's Mexican Week showstopper, I thought it might be worth pointing out that this was a variation of a Mexican classic, and I apologise if I get the pronunciation wrong, Pastel de Elote, which is a sweet corn cake similar to cornbread that commonly contains corn kernels distributed throughout. Corn makes an occasional appearance in southeastern Asian desserts, including in Shabira's native Malaysia. So there we go, Jacob coming to the rescue there and defending Shabira's corn cake, which uh, was something we've definitely we definitely don't see in the UK. So we apologise if it's very common in other cultures and we've just not seen that much of it. So thank you for letting us know, Jacob. Yeah, but listen, Jacob, I refuse to let my ignorance get in the way of me having an opinion on things. So (laughs) I will just... (laughs) We also have a comment here from Stephanie in Georgia. She says, perhaps you didn't realise that US is known as the land of the dynamic yeasts. So, Howard, this is all about the fast-rising yeast that we talked about in Bread Week. So, Stephanie talks about different yeasts. The difference is apparently that the rapid yeast is more of a powder. Uh, The envelopes of rapid and traditional yeast are the same size, but the rapid dissolves faster. Personally, I prefer the slower, if a longer rising time would enhance a flavour. So there we go. There is actually, so that, that's what the difference is between the rapid yeast and the not rapid yeast. And I should just point out that Stephanie was the lovely friend who sent us a picture of a package of instant moist cake. <laughs> oh, yes. So thank you, Stephanie, for coming to our rescue once again. Howard, does that explain the rapid yeast question yeah i think i think it's very similar in in the uk so we have quick yeast uh instant yeast you know and we we have uh sort of standard yeast that you need to activate to begin with or well you don't do you you don't no, really you, do. with, no you, you don't put, you do you can't put those big old granules straight into your bread you do have to put it in the liquid first but if you using if you're using fresh yeast People used to say that you needed to activate that, and actually, you can rub fresh yeast. You can you can sort of just 
rub it like you would butter into into flour and and it rises beautifully as way. long as you get it wet first you're good to go yeah <laughs> fair enough <laughs> good advice for life from <laughs> we have a question here from elizabeth in chicago she says i'm a u.s viewer and enjoy listening to your podcast after watching episodes on netflix I have seen all seasons of Bake Off and it seems that Paul Hollywood's opinion is the most important one in the judging, even when Mary Berry was a co-judge. At least in the Mary Berry seasons, the contestants were anxious to impress Mary and it seems like Prue is only there to give Paul someone to talk to rather than her being an equal judge. This really seems to be the Paul Hollywood show. I would love to hear your thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen. We all have thoughts. We all have thoughts. Go on, Howard, you go first. I know you do. <laughs> well, I, d- I don't think that's true, actually. I I, I think Prue's opinion is, is very valid. And I, I think she and Paul are, are equal in my view. I think Prue goes a little bit ahead in the pecking order in my view. But uh, that's just me. No, I would say... Paul is kind of the star of the show because he's been in Bake Off since day one, okay? But I don't think Paul's opinion is the only one that matters. And I would think if if you see the way that Paul and Mary interacted over the years, Paul was almost subservient to Mary. He sort of really looked after her. And uh, I think he did value her opinion a lot. So I don't think that he ever really overruled her uh, then. And with Prue, I don't think it's really any different. I mean, Prue doesn't have a sort of a handshake equivalent, if you like. You know, it's not a codified one, if you like. But uh, I think her opinion matters just as much. And they had different opinions on things and I valued their opinions equally. And I don't, you know, they are there to be a team and people may see Paul as, you know, Paul's been there since the start. He's the longest serving member of the the Bake Off team. But that doesn't make his opinion any more valuable than anyone else's. I think it's just maybe, maybe sometimes Paul carries himself as though his opinion is worth more than anyone else's. And I can't relate to that at all. (laughs) That's a good point, Dan. Very good point. Uh, yeah, I would I would go along with what the what the boys say, but when you do watch the contestants' face, they seem to hang on Paul's judgment more than they do anybody else's. Whether that was Mary, or whether that is Prue, and maybe it is just because you know he won prowls around. What do they call him? The great silverback gorilla or something, looking a bit threatening, but. To be honest, both Mary and Prue probably have much better cooking and baking credentials than Paul does. I mean, I, I've known of Prue for years and she's very well respected in the culinary world. And if I was going to listen to anybody's advice on anything other than Bake Off, as far as cooking is concerned, it would be Prue because she is fabulous. And she's a rock star. Any of her cookbooks and courses, she really is. Having been in the tent with her, she is amazing. Not only is she amazing in, in her culinary knowledge, she's also hugely fun. And if I can be anything like her when I get to her age, which isn't that far off, to be perfectly frank, I will be more than happy. She was the one that was dancing. She was the one that was cracking jokes. So yeah, as far as the judging is concerned, their weight is of equal value as far as the judging is concerned. But I do think... The uh, it's a bit like Simon Cowell in the X Factor. It doesn't really matter what all the others say, although their their judgments are of equal value. Everybody wants to know what Simon says. I think everybody wants to know that 
um, Paul likes their bakes. And it probably is just because he's been there for ages. And because he can be quite mean, and, and you always want to appease these mean people, don't you, I think? I just think, like, Paul is... Okay, Paul is... It's only his opinion, and everyone has different opinion on this stuff. But, like, Paul is very blunt. He's very straightforward about what he thinks. And Mary would, for example, use a lot of euphemisms. She would say, you know, it's a bit informal or, you know, things like that. Whereas Paul would just be like, it's messy, you know. And I think because he's so blunt and straightforward about his feedback, you're never guessing what he really thinks. And uh, I have to say, as much as it's fun to rib Paul, I never disagreed with his judgment. There was never a time when he said, it's bad. And I thought, well, actually, it's quite good. I always agreed with what Paul had to say. So um, I, I think he is actually very honest with his judging. So, ob I mean, obviously you want to please all of the judges, but he, he doesn't hide behind euphemisms. He tells you exactly what he thinks. Yeah, good point, Dan. Absolutely good point. I think you're left in no doubt what's, how good or bad your bake is when you're dealing with Paul. Well, thank you, Jacob, Stephanie and Elizabeth for your questions there. Keep your questions coming in either on social media where we are at Bake With A Legend on all platforms or you can email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. So let's head into the Showstopper Challenge where we had a pinata-style lantern to make where we needed at least two baked elements to go inside the lantern, where Prue was waiting at the gingham altar with a rolling pin ready to smash those apart. So let's dive right in. Howard, who did you think stood out for you in this challenge? Do you know, I, I loved uh, Janusz's idea. I thought the idea of a kind of uh, horror movie box of popcorn was was very creative. I, I, I liked that uh, a lot. And I also quite liked the idea he was doing something a bit unusual flavour-wise, putting crickets in truffles. I've never eaten a cricket, although Prue seemed to be a bit of an expert on uh, on crickets and their, their particular flavour, which was uh, interesting. But yes, I loved Shabira's and... Um, Sandro's, although I thought Sandro got a bit of a rough deal with his. Yeah, Paul said, it looks fantastic. This is something that you could buy in a supermarket, which I don't think is the greatest kind of compliment. It's a bit backhanded. It is something you could buy in a high-end patisserie or something like that, not a supermarket. It's kind of like Simon Cowell saying, it's a cruise ship performance. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> I don't actually think he meant that. I think he probably just, the wrong word came out. I think I, I don't think he was meaning to be nasty on that occasion. I, no, I don't. I think I think he it was, but I suppose he he has things that he sells in supermarkets, so he probably thinks it's a bit of a um, you know a bit of a compliment now. So a question here on Sandro's skull: Do you think it was a good idea to make it out of chocolate, or was it a little bit of a cheat? Well, well, it wasn't technically a skull, was it? It was a chocolate, big chocolate ball, which uh, he then covered in 200 mini chocolate skulls. He used, I think, probably over one and a half kilos of chocolate to make that. And although I thought the idea was fab, I really did think it was a great idea. He really fell flat on his face, didn't he? Because although he said he was making five treats, and I don't think they told you what all the five treats were, they said including chocolate, orange, palmiers, 
nutty Florentines and chili chocolate fudge. They didn't say what the other two elements were, not that I noticed anyway. None of them would fit into his ball. And so it completely missed the brief. So you had something that was chocolate and not baked, which were technically within the rules, I suppose. And then nothing that was supposed to go in it, fitted in it. And he had to chop his Florentines in half just to get anything in that ball. So I think really style over substance for Sandro. It looked brilliant. I'd like to, I would have liked him to have made a biscuit one, I think, and then covered it in his chocolate skulls because to, to make those biscuit ones are really hard. There was no light coming through, so it wasn't a lantern, wasn't even a glitter ball. And, and I just think it missed the brief by miles as much as I liked the creativity. I think it missed, missed it by miles. And he probably, if there was any sort of, does it hit the brief? Does the stuff fit inside? Does it light up? You know, tick, 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 tick. He would have come at the bottom of my list for that, I'm afraid, as much as I love the idea. I just don't think it hit the brief at all. Um, never mind that he obviously got his flavours a little bit wrong. And too much chilli and far too potent, I think, were, were the a couple of the descriptions. We were always, I mean, there was a huge discussion about whether somebody's cake, it, we were supposed to do a sponge element on one of the weeks, uh, Tude Week, and somebody made a fruitcake. Was a fruitcake a sponge? And they went off and they had to consult books to decide whether it was or it wasn't, or whether it hit the brief, <laughs> honestly. And they decided then that the, 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 the stuff that wrapped itself around the fruit in the fruitcake could be considered sponge. Um, but I, so, honestly, I don't know. Uh, these things happen in the tent. So I wouldn't have thought Sandro's had hit the brief at all. I have to say, it does bother me, like when you feel like people have insulted, it's not even sidestepping, because I think he did something difficult, but he didn't, tr he didn't, either didn't understand what the brief was, or didn't really try and hit it, and for me, there's two problems with that, first of all, we have to run our recipes past a team, so someone on the team should have said, this is not okay, this doesn't hit the brief, and they said that to me, like I tried to submit things, and they were like, this doesn't match the brief, you can't do this, but then also, sometimes people get hammered on the judging for that, and sometimes Sometimes they just don't. It just slips past. Um, now, we don't see all of the judging, but actually that, that as someone who's been in the tent and knows the struggle of what it is to be a baker creating recipes for that tent, when someone doesn't get hammered for not hitting the brief or for kind of sidestepping the brief, that actually really bugs me because, well, for the reasons I've just explained, and I, nothing personally against Sandro, um, but I also a little bit annoyed him this week because I'm really sick and tired of seeing chilli and things. You know, I personally do not like chilli. And just, there's chilli in everything every week, and I'm over it, Sandro, sorry. You're delightful, but your chilli is not. So, yeah, I just, I wasn't really that into Sandro this week. And, yeah, as you say, Jane, the, the, the it was very questionable on the brief, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought so, but the fact that things wouldn't fit in. So I think the baking elements were not great, and then it didn't fit into the chocolate ball. I, I, I think he had a very dodgy week. And, and in addition to the chilli, I think this Prue loves alcohol thing has gone too yes. far for me as well. Yeah. That's got to stop. So let's make it more exciting by sticking some alcohol pipettes on everything. That does not make your bake more exciting. And yes, a little bit of a joke at the beginning of the series, but it has gone on far too long now. She just likes the flavour of a bit of booze and good luck to her on that one. But just 
stop covering everything in alcohol. It's just not necessary. I had noticed, actually, that bakes have been very alcoholy this year. And I'm, it is a little bit like, why? Like, I'm not averse to a bit of kirsch in something where it's really adding some flavour. Um, but where it's just booze for the sake of it, I just kind of like, there's been a lot of rum. And listen, I love rum, but it doesn't taste as much, does it? It's a, it's an odd choice to me. It's an odd, I mean, there's a lot of pina colada going on, a lot of coconut rum, um, but I just, I don't really get it. And that bothers me. And also, don't ever put a pipette in anything. You put those straight in the bin. Don't buy them in the first place. Who wants a pipette in a cake? What is that about? <laughs> Howard, do you think this whole challenge was a bit style over substance? Because, again, we've mentioned in Bread Week, when we made the tortillas and the tacos, this is a baking show and yes a lot of people made biscuit for the lantern but that was very quickly smashed apart and we moved on to the little things on the inside and as Jane mentioned we didn't get to hear too much about everybody's individual elements to go inside the piñata so do you think this was edging into a bit of style over substance? I, I think you're right although I have to say I think Thinking back to Dan's year, uh, the biscuit chandelier challenge. Was it biscuit chandeliers that you did? Great challenge. Great challenge. Loved it. I know. <laughs> but that is, that is why are you hanging biscuits? Whereas at least with this one, there was a purpose to it. That, that, that there's, a, there's an event at which you smash it and then things are released. So I, I think it had some merit in the fact that there was at least a purpose to trying to get this structure to hang up and then bash it. Biscuit chandeliers, I'm not quite so convinced about well but it still upsets me though because like why would you spend hours making a biscuit construction for the first thing that anyone does to come along and smash it with a rolling pin and destroy it i think it's the way of all baking isn't it people True. often say oh, i can't believe it. it's you know Too good people to eat. Are going to cut into yeah. that it's like well it's a it's a cake for goodness sake yeah no i do i actually <laughs> i know people mean it's a compliment Just but it does drive cake, me guys. nuts people like yeah it's too good yeah. to eat i'm like oh i'll throw it in the bin then shall i like eat it like so we've talked about having too much chili and too much booze in a lot of people's flavors but how would you just touch there on the crickets that janush used prue being south african was just not phased by this at all she was like oh yes crickets delightful and nobody seemed to really have a problem once they ate the crickets but matt uh noel and paul were quite disgusted at the idea of crickets and i think something in this country that we don't have, we don't see. But as Prue said, very economical, very high in protein and can have a nice nutty flavour. So, Howard, are you going to start incorporating crickets into your bakes anytime soon? Um, I don't know. Do you know? I, 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 I took on board Prue's idea that this is the way that we may need to go in future in, in terms of sustainability. But I have to say that the whole thing of uh, with Halloween... Of that, it's it's not okay to eat a cricket, but it is okay to tuck into something that looks like an eyeball or a witch's finger or <laughs> something like that. Mmm, lovely. Let me munch on this fingernail. I I I can't understand. That. <laughs> I have to say, I don't have a problem with eating insects per se. Like I've eaten crickets and they're fine. When I was a kid, you used to get lollipops that had scorpions inside and like they tasted of nothing. Like it was a bit, it was sort of a bit of a non-event when you got to the middle and ate it. But I have nothing in particular uh, against eating uh, insects, but um, it wouldn't, it doesn't fill me with excitement. That's for sure. 
They're very crunchy. I'm not sure that they have much going for them other than a bit of texture. Well, and protein, of course. They are quite protein-rich, and um, it may well be the way to go. And when we eat prawns, prawns are merely under the water. They are the insects of the sea. They're the insects of the sea. There we go. So why, faced with a prawn and faced with a cricket, I don't know which one's the most better-looking, but I go, ooh, yummy, a prawn. And, oh no, I don't know that I can eat a cricket. So I think it could be the way to go. And to be honest, it was Halloween week. You know, we've got jelly worms in there, or somebody made gummy worms, didn't they? I think um, Janusz did. And why wouldn't we have crickets on Halloween week? You know, we've got Halloween with bugs crawling out of skulls if you watch it on television. Why shouldn't we have them? I'm quite happy to give them a go. I'd like to have tasted them. And the criticism wasn't about the cricket, was it? It was the, the criticism was that actually the truffle was far too sweet. So it just sort of made it too sugary uh, but I thought it was a great introduction and I'd like to have seen some of those crickets dipped in chocolate and put on top of his white chocolate popcorn that was sitting on his box I I, I thought he really got into the spirit of the the theme this week on that showstopper I, I it was one of my favorites to be honest Shabira made her spider from gingerbread and she even went so far as to put some blue lights through it, which looked lovely. She made some almond fingernails for her little cookies as well. So Howard, right up your street, described as very stunning, delicate, um, and the judges really enjoyed the look of it. But her combination of orange and white truffle was not well received. What does anybody think of that flavour combo? It's not something I can even imagine. I've never used white truffle, actually. I can't imagine it either. I had some really delicious truffle roasted nuts the other day. Very expensive. Somebody gave them to me. They were delicious. Absolutely delicious. I like a bit of truffle oil on on a roast potato as well. Oh, yeah, that would be nice too. I'm not sure I'd want them in my biscuits but we had a lot of miso last year i'm not sure truffles are going to be the new miso but um you gotta try these things haven't you, you can't criticize her for that and then criticize other people for being boring well I, I, and as Pooh said uh, shabira you're off your head you you honestly are, are and i think that's a compliment i quite like to be the one that's a little bit on the eccentric side that's coming up with something yeah i think it's nice to be the person who's bringing something new absolutely like it's you know it's it's mm. as you all know me uh, say a hundred times a podcast like i like very traditional stuff and sometimes i wish i had the creativity to come up with some wild and wacky flavor combination and just trust that it would work and obviously you're not always going to hit the mark but sometimes shabira brings us some really really wonderful things that i i would never have thought to do so i'm a big shabira fan i mean i was a fan from the start but uh, after this week i think she's really solidified her place in my baking heart she's very creative that that you know you can't get away from that she has given us some wonderful things haven't always quite worked but wonderful things i just want to mention dawn's eyeballs (laughs) (laughs) to be fair she had a bit of an issue didn't she with her I'm not sure it looked any worse, really, than Shabira's, but I think Dawn was on her way out anyway. The jelly eyes, I don't know how she did that. So the jelly eyes that had that line like a cat would have down the middle, the slit eye, I don't think they showed us enough of those. I thought they were stunning. I I just think, you know, that was my favourite thing in the whole show were her jelly eyes. I thought they were so clever. 
She must have done it a bit like jelly art, maybe, to get that in there. I don't know. I didn't really see how she was doing it. But to get that slit in, they really did look like cat's eyes. And I hope everybody enjoyed Dawn's eyeballs as much as I did, because I thought they were brilliant. I I think you're right. And I think the fact that Paul said, as his critique, it's all a little bit basic. There's no way you could have classed those jelly eyes as being basic. They were... They were literally in a class of their own. And the macarons, you know, they weren't any more simple than anybody else's, I didn't think. Um, And she'd made some twill biscuits. I didn't, I think they, I wonder if they decide where Dawn's going this week. We're going to make sure we've got enough criticism in there to make it justified. Because it was a bit messy and it did hang and the cat looked okay and the macarons but I don't think it was any worse than Kevin's. Kevin's looked a right old mess, didn't it, to be honest? I think what happens at this point of the show is that people start to crumble. And and I think the people who are on set can probably see who's holding up well and who's crumbling. And I think it's, I don't think it's a deliberate choice. I don't think that they're factoring that in, like, logically. But when you can see that two people are doing badly and one of them is staying strong and the other's crumbling, you're making the decision easier. You know, I sort of, like, when the week I went home, I Maybe. crumbled. And, you know, Manon kept her... It was between me and Manon. I mean, I was clearly worse. But Manon, like, was sort of stayed strong and kept going and I was just falling to pieces. And I made the decision very easy for them to send me home. And I think Dawn has the appearance of someone who is crumbling. And I think... um I, I just think that that it maybe subconsciously has an effect on the judges when they're making that decision. Because if someone is falling apart, and not that I'm judging them for that, because it happens to so many of us, but it's they're unlikely to get better if they're already at that point. I think you also want people to be enjoying the experience and getting something out of it. Yeah. And I think if it looks as if someone is, is struggling and not, having a positive experience it it's not it's not nice to watch is it really we were told that when mel and sue said to us right you guys you've got to week six it's been fun up till now this is where stamina comes into it you know you've got to keep your head down and just keep going to get to the end because you'll be exhausted and you could see people getting oh god do you know what i don't care it may not be the best bake but you know, I don't want to go home really, but I'm exhausted. And you could see that happening week on week. And it was those that went, no, come along, we're going to keep going, that got to the end. It's exhausting. Don't anybody at home ever forget, you know, they're long, long days. You get very little time at home. I'm assuming this lot all went home in between filming like we did. You've got lives to run. You've got children. You've got whatever going on. And uh, you're absolutely tired out Uh, and I I think yes I think it does begin to show maybe you're right I didn't think Dawn was quite there but uh, she she was probably it was toss up well we'll talk about it at the end but it was toss up between a couple of them for me and I suppose yeah Dawn's time had come well that perfectly brings us on to our elimination and star baker let's start with our elimination because we've just been talking about it it was poor Dawn's time to go As you guys have said, it really felt like she was struggling. She was just coming to the end. 
of her stamina and it was her time to go. She did say that it was one of the most enjoyable experiences she's ever had and she will be sorely missed. She was one of the first bakers to get a handshake and she's been an absolute character. Howard, are we sad to see Dawn go? Yeah, I think I think it was sort of between Carol and Dawn last week and I was sad to see Carol go. But yeah, it's it's sad at this stage, well at any stage to see bakers go. But I do think I I empathise with how she must have been feeling. She did look absolutely shattered. Yeah, she looked, as, as we alluded to earlier, she sort of just looked really quite frazzled. But I think she has a lot to be proud of. I think she brought us some really good moments. Um, there was the showstopper that I think we're all still a little bit confused about why Paul didn't just reach out and shake her hand for. You know, she produced some really wonderful things in the tent. To be there in the first place and to have produced uh, something really outstanding is, you know, an achievement very much in and of itself. So she has nothing to feel bad about. The contestants who go home in week six are generally the best ones, wouldn't you say, Jane? I, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they're the ones that the crew possibly get fed up with being too gobby, I think. Oh, oh, thank wow. you. Sorry, Dan. Well, Dan <laughs> and I were both week six. Howard, so, I know. Yeah. I know. Oh. Sorry, I was really only talking to Dan, Howard. Nobody ever wanted to see you go, ever, ever. We all love Howard. <laughs> So Jane, it's really it's really sad you're not going to be joining us for the rest of the podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. now. Um, <laughs> but with every goodbye, we also get a new star baker. And this week, possibly inevitably, it was Shabira's turn. Bless her. She got a handshake. She came first in the technical, and then she got star baker. I'm dubbing this the Bake Off Triple Crown, something only two bakers have ever had in the past, as we've said before. So now Shabira joins that club. Do we think Shabira is going to be final material? Mm, I think maybe, to be honest. Her creativity is astounding. I don't know how she comes up with some of her ideas. So I'm still going with Sandro, even though I don't think he had a great week. But I think, yeah, maybe finalists, Shabira for me, Sandro and Janusz. Maybe Maxi. Yeah, I think maybe. So here's the thing, it's like, those of us who've been who've been on TV and lived through the reality TV machine, like we sort of like I think we're quite attuned to the edit, aren't we? And seeing like who's who's being presented in certain ways. I think that Janusz will definitely be in the final. Um, I think Maxi will probably be Shabira. I feel like has a week nine exit vibe going Ooh. on. I'm wondering Ooh. if. <laughs> That's that's what I'm feeling. And also, this is not really to do with Shabira, but have you noticed, and maybe this is me, I just feel like Abdul is barely in the show. Oh, we've hardly mentioned him today ourselves. So why is why is that? I don't know if Abdul's gonna be like the wild card third finalist mm, or if he's gonna disappear very soon. But like it, 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 the edit is suspiciously quiet on Abdul, so I don't know what's going on with him. But yeah, Shabira for me, she's great. I love her, but for, I'm getting the I'm getting the hints that she's going to be a, a semi finalist. That's what I'm feeling. But she did amazing this week, didn't she? I mean, it couldn't have gone any better for, for her. Only maybe one or two ever so slightly negative comments, but pretty much everything else was perfect. So big well done to Shabira for something to be very proud of. Absolutely. So is Shabira going to pull a Jurgen and not get through to the final? We don't know. Will Abdul get to the final and surprise us all? We do not know. We will have to keep watching to see. Thank you very much, Jane, Dan and Howard, for joining me today for Halloween week. 
And for those of you who want to join us at one of our many online classes, we are very happy to see you there. As mentioned before, we have all the rest of our mystery classes. The next one being our spooky apple cake with Karen. We have Howard's digestives and Garibaldi class coming up. We even have some more Christmas classes for sale already, as well as webinars. So please check out our website, that is bakewithalegend.com. Click on online classes and see which one you'd like to attend. Also, make sure you use the code podcast to get 10% off your next class. Jane, Dan and Howard, thank you so much for joining me and we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. heard a stripped media production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.